Psalm 23 and verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. In the scriptures, many times and many places, oil represents or symbolizes the power of the Spirit of God. Now, some Christians read Psalm 23, and they think this psalm is talking about heaven. But notice it says here, you set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. You don't have any enemies in heaven. All of your enemies are in Dimapur. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. And notice, in connection with the table, there's an anointing. You anoint my head with oil. So that means the first thing you need to do is come to the table of the Lord and take your place. And then when you're there, God's going to anoint you. And notice, in the presence of my enemies, God will anoint you even while irritating and jealous people watch it. In fact, he will purposely do it at that time just to tick off your enemies. <laughs> Some people, you know, I'm sorry to say, you know, they need to make a hard adjustment. Some people, they see others get super blessed and they can't sleep that night. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In ancient times, oil was used for many purposes. It was used to cool and refresh. They don't have air conditioners. We don't have it half the time. It was used to cool and refresh or to reinvigorate, you see. And it was customary in, uh, you know, first century A.D. and before, it was customary that when a guest came to your house, you would pour oil on his head. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, we read a story about how Jesus was invited to dine at the house of a Pharisee, a man named Simon. And while they ate, a woman entered the house from off the street. And we read it in Luke chapter 7, verse 38. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. By the way, just a thought here, when you read that, you probably would imagine that means that she's crying and the tears are dripping off her chin and falling on his feet, but that's not what happened. In fact, if you read verse, uh, whatever that was, verse 38, verse 37, it says she was standing behind him. She had a bottle of tears. Middle Eastern women collected their tears. Many, many women from an early age, they had a little bottle, and every time they cried, they collected those tears, and, and, and they thought it was uh, something special. In fact, there, there are some cases where, I mean, even in more recent history, Palestinian women and things like that, they would be, that would be a, a precious thing to them, that bottle of tears, and many of them would even be buried with their bottle of tears. So she poured out the bottle of tears on his feet, and in essence, she was pouring out a lifetime of sorrow 
on him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, when Simon the Pharisee saw this, he was displeased. And he remarked in disgust that the woman who did these things was sinful. And then Jesus noted, he, he, made, he made the comment that, Simon, when I came into your house, you gave me no kiss. You did not wash my feet, and you did not anoint my head. But this woman has done all of those things. You see, if you come to my house, I'm not going to give you a kiss. I'm not going to wash your feet either. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> but you see, in the first century A.D. In, in Israel, this was considered proper etiquette. This was good hospitality at the time. Praise the Lord. Amen. So the Pharisee, by his actions, was dissing Jesus. I mean, he was disrespectful to Jesus. But the woman who was scorned and shamed, she honored him. See? So, actually, the Bible has a lot to say about honor. And that may be a department where some people are in a deficit. Honor is found throughout the Scriptures. It's a common theme throughout the Bible. And you'll miss out on many things until you really have a revelation of honor, honoring God, honoring the things of God, being an honorable person. Amen. And Jesus said to the woman, not to the Pharisee, he said to the woman in verse 50, your faith has saved you. He didn't say that to the Pharisee. Your faith has saved you. We've come here tonight in the house of God. We are here at his invitation by the Holy Spirit. And as we step into his presence, I don't just mean the church building, but as we step into his presence, there are certain things he's going to do. He would welcome us. He would see that our feet are washed and he would anoint us because in heaven it's the customary thing to do. When Jesus in the upper room just before the cross, when he washed the disciples' feet, Peter objected because he thought it was beneath Jesus to do such a thing. He said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered in John 13 and verse 8, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no part with me. Or really, you have no fellowship with me. And then Peter, in his usual impetuous style, from one extreme to the other, which is like some people we know, but it, has some, it shows some good qualities, though. He blurted out, well, in that case, wash my whole body. <laughs> of course, what he really means is I'm with you the whole way. I'm all in. But Jesus didn't say, okay, here comes the shower. No. <laughs> no, in verse 10, he said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And see, there's a spiritual thought here. 
on several levels. One, of course, about servanthood and humility. But there's another thought. If we are saved, we are completely clean. Our hearts have been purified. Our hearts have been washed clean from sin. But as we live in this dirty world, uh, our hearts can become contaminated just in the daily affairs of life. So in other words, our feet get dirty. So we don't need to get saved again. But there is a daily cleansing that is required for fellowship with the Father, with the Lord. There's a daily cleansing, continual cleansing that's required to maintain our fellowship. Amen. I'm not suggesting that we're just automatically forgiven every time we sin. Remember the woman in the story, she poured out her tears on Christ. Now, weeping doesn't bring forgiveness per se, but her actions demonstrate a contrite attitude. Contrite means broken. In other words, there was, there was a genuine godly sorrow for her wrongdoing. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, amen? Now, that doesn't mean that we have to put on some big production. That's what some people do. We don't have to have some kind of grandiose religious ceremony. We will now all take a knee, everyone, and we will begin with the letter A. If your sin begins with the letter A, call it out. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do something for a show or something. You, you don't even have to wait till the next service. You shouldn't wait till the next church service. That means at the moment, when you know you've, 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 you've gone wrong, just say, Lord, please forgive me. Amen? Hallelujah. You don't have to announce it to the whole church. It might not be wise to do that. You can just come. You have an advocate in heaven. Praise the Lord. Amen. But on the other hand, never take the mercy of God for granted. Right? Some people, they devise sin they say, in their heart. I'm just going to go ahead and do that, and I'll first John 1, 9 it later. No, no, no. That, that's not the right attitude. <laughs> that's not the right attitude. Amen. In Romans chapter 16, verse 6, the Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, how many doers of the word do we have here in this house? Well, pastor, why don't we do that word? Because we don't have people that are that holy. <laughs> he didn't say greet one another with a romantic sloppy kiss. He said a holy kiss. <laughs> you see, once again, in Middle Eastern culture, and that's different, very different in some ways from, from our experience, they warmly greeted one another. He's not, Paul's not talking about, see, like if there's, you know, some good-looking fella and you're a girl there, like, oh, uh, hello, brother. And he's not talking about, you know, he's a single guy and he sees some pretty girl. Praise the Lord, sister. <laughs> he, he actually means, he actually, he's writing to men, and he's talking about the men should kiss one another. So that's why I don't want to practice that verse. I, we're not living in the first century A.D., that's for sure. But they warmly greeted one another. That, that's the idea. It was a sign of acceptance and brotherly affection. Well, the reason I mention that is when you enter the house of God, you are warmly received because you are accepted in Christ. God has made you acceptable in the beloved. And when we come into the presence of God, he will warmly embrace us. 
In other words, not only do we have the right to stand before the Lord, right, to be in His presence, we are welcome there. We are welcomed there. How many of you have ever been to some kind of a, 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 a social event, you know, whatever, like some kind of little party or some kind of gathering or what have you, and maybe you had an invite card, but when you got there, nobody kind of like, you know, smiled at you or said hello, so glad to have They kind of acted like, what are you doing here? And you feel really awkward, like, I'm in the wrong place. But that's never the case in the house of God. Because you are washed in the blood of Jesus, the Father is not turning His back on you. He's opening wide His arms to you to take you to Himself. We're welcomed in the presence of God. We should therefore feel comfortable when the Holy Ghost moves. We should feel comfortable because we are welcomed. Amen? Can I get a better amen, please? Praise the Lord. Amen. And in God's house, He anoints our head with oil. He anoints us in His house. Woo! So where will God anoint you? Well, you know, figuratively speaking, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in the devil's house. You'll find your anointing in the house of God. You're not going to find God's anointing in the world. You're going to find it in His presence. David said in Psalm 92, verse 10, You have poured over me fresh oil. You know why we're here tonight? Because we all need fresh oil. I said we all need fresh oil. Even the staff who never miss a service, we all need fresh oil. In other words, you cannot, none of us can live on yesterday's experience. Oh, I, that's a bad thing when all you have is memories. Oh, I remember how the Lord moved back in my day. I thought today was your day. I said, I thought today was your day. Amen. Thank God for everything He's done in your life and how He's blessed you and, and, and thrilled you and inspired you, but you need fresh oil. Some people have been operating on the same oil since 1980. I mean, your vehicle would, would break down if you don't change the mobile. It would just, it would just stop working after a while, right? You, you need fresh oil from heaven. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Oil was also used in ancient times to bring healing. It's interesting. Did you ever consider this? James chapter 5 and verse 14. James 5.14 instructs the elders of the, or the leaders of the church. Really, the word elder is pastor, to be honest with you. The elders of the church to pray over the sick. And once again, He's actually not talking about just someone who's not feeling well. He's talking about somebody who is bedridden, someone who is so sick they can't get out of bed. Notice it says, let them pray over him, not pray with him or even pray for them, but pray over them, and the Lord will raise him up. Well, well he needs to be raised up because he's on his deathbed or he's, he's severely sick, you see. So you don't need every time you got a, a, a runny nose to call the church and say, send the elders. No, no. You, you can just pray and believe God for yourself. 
But this is, this is a case where someone cannot do anything for themselves. But not only pray for that person, it says anointing him with oil. Right? Think about that. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, James is not talking about using oil for medicinal purposes, you know, as medicine. Otherwise, he would tell us what kind of oil to use and where to apply it. Put one here, you know, one here, you know. We're not talking about that. Oil in this verse symbolizes the Holy Spirit. See? So that means that when we minister to others, we not only need to pray in faith, we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes... You know, we, we're just so, uh, we're following a familiar faith formula that we're not bothering to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We just march in there and we go through our faith scriptures, daka, 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 you know, and then we go through our, our, some people have like a recording on the inside of them. And when they visit the sick, they play the sick recording. No, 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 no. We need, you need to be led by the Lord and all you do. You know, he'll give you the right words to say and, and the right way to say it. Praise the Lord. It's, it, it's funny that, it, and you've heard this before, but it seems like the whole church world's divided into a couple of camps. We got the faith camp, and then we got the Holy Ghost camp. But, but there's no such thing in Scripture. You need faith in the Word. You also need the power and the flow of the Holy Spirit. You don't need one or the other. In fact, you cannot have one without the other. We need both. Glory to God. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This verse from Hebrews is actually a quotation from Psalm 45, verse 7, and it is a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. And notice this verse says that the Father, God the Father, has anointed Jesus the Son, who is also called God in this verse because He is divine. Notice that the Father has anointed Him with the oil of gladness. The oil of gladness. I cannot, I cannot recall, if it's there, I, I can't think of it, I cannot recall a place in the Bible where God ever anointed someone with the oil of sadness. I was raised Presbyterian, and almost everybody in that denomination is anointed with the oil of sadness. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I can tell a Presbyterian, oh, I guess there's some folks going to get angry right now. I can just look at some people, and I can tell you what denomination they belong to. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it's oft, often artists portray Jesus, you know, like in, in paintings, of course. And then even like we see, you know, more recent films and that type of thing, they portray Jesus as sorrowful and forlorn. I mean, how many calendars have I seen hanging on somebody's wall and Jesus, you know, he... <laughs> Right? Right? I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be irreligious. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But isn't, isn't that the truth? Isn't that really true? You never see one where Jesus is like, you, you n never, never. 
We, we, would, we, we would know what to do with a calendar like that, you see. But the only time that I'm aware of where Jesus was sorrowful was in Gethsemane. He, his, his soul was sorrowful because of, of the things that were going to take place, you know, in, in his consecration. But I don't see, and then when he entered Jerusalem, he saw this city from afar and he began to weep over it. But, but again, I don't see that, but Jesus, that Jesus walked around being depressed all the time. You know, that he needs therapy or something like that, you know. And see, there are some Christians who think that they're really special if they're depressed. Well, you are special, but that's not the right kind of special. <laughs> Nowhere does the Bible say, and the sorrow of the Lord is your strength. Says the joy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The, the Greek word for gladness in that verse means extreme joy. Extreme joy. You know what that means? That means you're so joyful you are irritating the person sitting next to you. You're so joyful your mother-in-law becomes unhinged. <laughs> How do you know when you have extreme joy? It's when the devil gets irritated. Amen. Lord, the Passion Translation says bliss. Woo. There's a blessing of bliss. Glory to God. And the contemporary English version says that God made you happier than any of your friends. Woo. Now, see, there's a kind of a thought here that, uh, you know, that, uh, that if you really serve God, he'll make you miserable, more miserable than any of your friends. Right? But that's not true. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. It should be, it should be, that people can see how much God is in our life by our level of joy. And I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you to fake it right now. <laughs> but I mean, it's real. It's real. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, so when you start getting really grumpy, when you start getting grumpy, then you know you need more oil. Maybe God needs to anoint your marriage with the oil of gladness. I'll wait for it. Thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe God needs to anoint your family with the oil of gladness. Instead of fighting like cats and dogs every day. Hallelujah. You know, it's hard to fight with someone who has extreme joy. Let me tell you something. They're just like... <laughs> It's hard to fight with someone. They won't fight back. <laughs> Listen, if you don't stop spending money. <laughs> it's really hard to fight with somebody like that. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, there's more. Go back to that verse, Hebrews 1, 9. Notice something. Notice this. You have loved righteousness. Talking about Jesus. Really, it's a prediction of Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, the next word in the verse is actually, therefore, God, your God has anointed you. Therefore. In other words, this is why God anointed you. This is why. Now, see, many Christians 
we would have to say they prefer what is right, and sometimes they're okay with what's wrong. But that's not correct, actually. Maybe, and I'm speaking in general terms, maybe we don't have the same anointing as Christ because we don't have the same attitude. Amen? In other words, maybe the problem is you don't hate sin enough. So think about it. If you want to be anointed, you'll have to be a lover and a hater. John Routon is a hater because if you love God, you will love what God loves, but you'll also hate what God hates. And if you love people, if you love people, you will hate sin. I didn't say you'll hate people. I said you'll hate sin because sin destroys people. You know, if you, if, when you kind of have a lackadaisical attitude towards sin, then, 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 then that means that you really don't love God as much as you think, and you don't love people either. Now, then again, some people, some people, they're like inside, they're going, amen, we need this kind of preaching. Oh, yes, hallelujah, glory to God, yes, hallelujah. Well, wait a minute. Some people hate sin in other people. But they don't hate it in them. And they turn on the TV and see all the sin in the world. and but, but then when you turn off the TV, go in the bathroom and look in the mirror. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And see, most people, oh, you're kind of sad now. Where's the oil? <laughs> most people equate holiness with anger in the, in the religious world. They think if you're angry... And that, that must be a very, that person, I mean, that's a really righteous person. Again, not to belabor the point, but, you know, when I was a boy in church, you never smiled, especially in the sanctuary. You can smile in the parking lot, and it's okay, but inside the sanctuary, no, no sir, buddy, because if you smile, you look like a sinner. <laughs> they think you're, doing, you're up to something. What did you smoke last night? You're smiling. <laughs> not supposed to smile, right? But... But, and, and so they think that the people who are holy, they're dull and boring people. A stick in the mud. They're no fun to be around. Oh, oh, let me introduce you to my friend. He's really holy. Uh, no thanks. You know, they, they think that somebody's holy. Uh, they're kind of a thorn in the flesh. They're kind of like, and they're smug. You know, they're very, they're, they're self-righteous. That's, that's the idea that people have. That's, that's the total misconception. Was Jesus holy? Yes, he was. Do you know anybody more holy than him? No, you don't. And notice he was anointed with the oil of gladness. Holy people are happy people. I said holy people are happy people. And people who go to holy places, and, and I don't really mean just like inside this building. I guess in a sense that's true. But people who go to holy places, they are happy people. Because in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Joy. That's right. Poo. Hallelujah. And furthermore, there's a satisfaction when your heart is full of the joy of the Lord. There's a satisfaction and when you have an abundance, extreme joy, then you're not so easily tempted with worldly, sinful pleasure. You don't have to be addicted to entertainment. You've got something better than watching somebody else's life. You can live your life. Let other people watch you. 
<laughs> Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? One more point on that. When he says that God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness, he's actually talking about anointing for kingship. Anointing for kingship. See, that was verse 9. If you read verse 8, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom, you see. So in ancient Israel, God anointed the king to step into the position of authority to rule. So again, another thought, if we want to reign as kings in life, we will have to prize purity. We will have to prize purity. Praise the Lord. Amen? That's so quiet. I, I don't know what to make of that. Amen? Hallelujah. We better get off of that. Some of you are getting depressed. I said, we, I said there's oil of gladness. Isaiah 61 verse 1. Just a couple of more points. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And this verse from Isaiah summarizes Jesus' ministry. It really is his mission statement. It tells what he's all about. And he read it in the synagogue and said, today this scripture is fulfilled. So he was anointed. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news and to heal those who are bound. But let's go on reading. That was Isaiah 61, verse 1. Let's read verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. If you notice, Jesus didn't read that part about the day of vengeance. He stopped because that's talking about the final judgment that will occur when he comes back. He didn't read that because we're not yet in the day of vengeance, although that day is coming. But he will comfort all who mourn. I said he will. Jesus is anointed to comfort all who mourn. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Let's go on reading. Notice verse 3. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit or a spirit of heaviness. So it says to comfort those in Zion. Now, Zion literally is the hill on which Jerusalem is built, you see. But symbolically, it represents the church. We don't have time to go there, but you can read about that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you are come to Zion, you know, to the city of our God, etc. So Jesus will comfort the people of God. He will reassure them. He will lessen their grief. He will remove their sorrow by the power of the Holy Spirit. He can comfort you in ways that no man can comfort you. Nobody can really understand exactly what you're going through. 
No, no human being can really completely comprehend the broken heart, the, the discouragement, the frustration, but there's one who knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the innermost secrets of your heart, and by the anointing, by the oil of the Spirit, he will comfort you. He will heal you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So when the Israelites failed God, they would humble themselves by wearing sackcloth, which is like Asian cloth, and they would put ashes on their head, you know, and then, uh, you know, they would sit in that, and, and, and it was a demonstration of godly sorrow. But here it says Jesus removes the ashes, and he puts something beautiful there. That means the days of your mourning are over. You don't have to go through life being despondent. Glory to God. And he, instead of the cloak of heaviness, he will give you a garment of praise. See, instead of wearing like rough sackcloth, which indicates that, you know, that, that you're in remorse and that you are, that you are grieved, see, He'll put something beautiful on you, and there'll be a spirit of praise in your life. And then one more point, he will also give you the oil of gladness. Oil of gladness. So he that is anointed with the oil of gladness will also anoint you with the same spirit. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Well, it's nice to read that verse, and sometimes we do. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together. That means sisters too, although that takes more effort. And when sisters dwell together in unity. But how good is it? How good is it? Verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard. Now, see, you and I just read that. Oh, it's so wonderful when we're all together. It's like oil running down your beard. That's not the words that I would use to describe, you know, happiness or goodness. But he went on to say, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. David's talking about what happened to Aaron, the high priest, when he was inducted into the priesthood, when he was inaugurated to be a high priest. Moses poured the holy oil on his head, which was a symbol of his consecration to God and also the anointing of the Holy Spirit to empower him for service. You see, where there's unity, the Spirit flows. That's how good it is. I said, where there's unity among believers, that's the place where the Spirit of God moves. Woo, woo. Gifts are distributed. Ministries are birthed. Callings are received in that place where brothers and sisters in Christ come together in harmony. Amen. Hallelujah. There's an anointing 
There's an anointing, a corporate anointing. When we have the same mind and the same purpose and the same desires, when we want the same thing that God wants for the same reason that God wants it, and that corporate anointing on all of us is much stronger than any individual anointing on any man or woman of God. You see, without going into too much detail, Each one who stands in a ministry office has a small portion of Christ's anointing because Jesus has given away portions of his ministry. But the body of Christ has all of Christ's anointing, and that anointing is stronger. That's one reason why, listen to me, that's one reason why we need to come together. I said that's one reason why we need, there are some things that God cannot do for you until you come into the presence, not only of God, but of other believers. There's some things God can only do for you in church. I hope you're not too tired. I have a tendency to give you too much information, but maybe, maybe you can chew on this. Maybe this will, this will help you. Praise the Lord. Or maybe not. I hope it's, it helps me. I'm blessed. Hallelujah. I'm almost done, if that will encourage you. Praise the Lord. Before Jesus, after Jesus ascended up into heaven, Acts 1.14 says, Acts 1.14, all these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. And Acts 2.4, they were all together in one place. And what happened? The oil began to flow. They were all together in one place. Think about that. That in itself is kind of a miracle. We've never had a church service where All of us were there. There's always somebody that wasn't there. And I mean, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. You shouldn't feel bad. You're here. But there was always somebody who's not there. They were all there. And they were all in unity. They were all in harmony. And what happened? You know, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. So you can understand why the devil wants to cause division in the church because he doesn't want the oil to flow. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aaron was anointed to be a priest. We are priests to our God. We offer up spiritual sacrifices of praise to him. God will anoint you to worship. God will anoint you to praise. Aaron represented the people on behalf of God. God will anoint you to pray. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to have an anointing to pray. And that may be released when we come together in unity. Sometimes when we're praying, you know, in general, like, you know, this person's going this way and that person's going that way and this person's praying this way. And and it's, it's not all, it's not wrong. It's good. They're all praying. But when we come together in unity, suddenly the oil begins to flow. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll read just one more scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? If we want the oil to flow, we must humble ourselves. This is what Samuel said to King Saul. When you were little in your own eyes, God anointed you. 
So in other words, as long as you are really big in your own eyes, you're going to be also really dry in God's eyes. Amen? When he says little in your own eyes, he's talking about not your physical stature, obviously. He's talking about your mental attitude. Amen? Actually, King Saul was not little. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody in Israel. He's like me in Nagaland. And uh, so, <laughs> but he's not like me. He's very different than me. And uh, <laughs> hallelujah. But when he was lifted up in pride, he lost the anointing. In fact, he got, instead of the anointing, instead of the oil of gladness, he became troubled with the wrong spirit. As water always naturally flows to the lowest point on land, God's spirit always flows to the humble. So if you want to go up, you got to go down. You got to become little in your own sight. And while I'm on the subject, God will help you. I said, God will help you. He will help you to become little in your own sight. Amen. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's really just thinking of yourself less, right? It's not being self-consumed, really. Amen. It's, it's not trying to impress others. Just a little thought. Don't try to impress others because if you try to impress others, you cannot bless others. I'm not so concerned about how well I preach. I'm concerned about how well you live. I'm concerned about how you are helped, whether it benefits you. I mean, we could preach in such a way that I get a lot of affirmation. Everybody shakes my hand and pats me on the back. But if your life isn't changed, then that's not really, that's not really accomplishing anything. I could preach. Everybody could just stare at me and dig their nose. But, but if their lives are changed, then, then that's success. That, that's what we want. But I'm saying rejoice. <laughs> it's recognizing your total dependence on God. Some people are not empowered by the Spirit because they don't think they need it. Some people are not anointed with the oil of gladness because they don't think they need it. They don't need gladness. They have satellite television. <laughs> they don't need gladness. They, they have PlayStation. No, 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 you, I need this. I need this. Stay humble. Stephen Jeffries was a coal miner in, in Wales, in the United Kingdom, way back in the 1930s, 40s, I think. He was saved and was preaching the gospel. And in one church where he was, I think he was holding a meeting there, something very unusual happened. There was a vision of Christ this is according to the reports. There was a vision of Christ as the wounded, slain Lamb of God. And that a vision appeared on the wall, according to the reports. And it didn't just stay there for a moment. It was there for hours. And everybody in the church saw that. In fact, hundreds of people came and, and, and shuffled through there to see this phenomenon. Stephen Jeffries he knelt down before that image, not, not, to, not to worship it or something like that, but out of homage to, to the Lord, just in God's presence. He was there for like, I think he was there for, you know, that whole time. I don't know, maybe longer. 
And when he got up from that place, he continued to minister, and he noticed outstanding healings began to take place in his ministry, something that didn't happen before. Amazing healings, particularly in the area of rheumatoid arthritis, where people are gnarled and deformed and things like that. And, and, and people were coming to, to the meetings he was holding. They, they didn't have enough room for people to be seated, so the crowds had to wait outside. He would have a service, minister to people. Everybody would exit, and then they'd bring in the next batch. And he did that like round the clock or maybe like all, all day and all night long. People are waiting outside for their turn to get in. And, and, and witnesses said that, you know, he would go in, in the back and pray for people, you know, where they were, and you could hear the bones popping and cracking, and suddenly twisted limbs are straightened out. People who had never walked in their life are suddenly perfectly standing straight and erect, and, and they're completely healed. You see, in the presence of God, there was distributed to him an anointing an anointing to minister healing, amazing, amazing miracles, you see. But unfortunately, there's a sad ending to the story. He became extremely successful and in demand, you know, as you can imagine, and his heart became lifted up with pride. In fact, in, in one meeting, I think it was in South Africa, before a large crowd, he announced, ladies and gentlemen, the world is at my feet. Oh, really? I think another time he said, Lord, you just bring them and I'll heal them. Well, you know, you're not the healer. The Lord is the healer. He uses people, but, but he's the healer, you see. He even began to wear the garb of a Roman Catholic priest, even though he was a Protestant, Pentecostal. He, I mean, he's, he's wearing that, I don't know why, you know, just to sort of like, you know, showcase his religiosity. And he got further and further away from God. He lost the anointing. And the sad thing is this, not only did he lose the anointing, but then he got sick. And guess what? With rheumatoid arthritis. The very disease, especially that God anointed him to miraculously bring healing, that came on him. So it's important. Stay little in your own eyes. When you hold meetings and only three people come, I guess it's easy to stay little in your own eyes. But God will bless you. God will prosper you. And more people will come. And more people will be blessed. But make sure that you stay little in your own eyes. Don't get the big head. Keep a big heart. Let's all stand up to our feet. Praise the Lord.